Okay, you guys, here we go. She Runs Ultras episode number 47. And I've brought Tiffany back. We had so much fun the first time talking about kind of like the nutrition 101 basic stuff that I wanted to expand on it. So this time around, Tiffany and I are talking about fasted running or intermittent fasting or whatever people are calling it these days, you'll kind of get a sense for the term confusion here as we dive into the episode. But this is something that I had tried not long ago, and I refer to my experience in the podcast here, but it's definitely something that has hit like peak interest among a lot of different exercising groups, not necessarily just runners. So I wanted to get the down low from Tiffany on exactly what it is and does it actually benefit athletes. So let's just dive right in. Here's my conversation with Tiffany Calcutt of Harvest Wellness and Nutrition about intermittent fasting, fasted running, running low. (laughs) You get the drift. Here we go. Okay, you guys, we are back with my good friend, Tiffany Calcutt of Harvest Wellness and Nutrition. And we're going to talk about um, kind of an interesting topic today, one that comes up quite often in and around the workout and running arenas, and that is intermittent fasting or fasted workouts. I'm definitely not using the right terms for this, but that's why we have the expert Tiffany here. Um, So welcome, Tiffany. Thank you for coming back. This is your second time on the podcast. We're super excited to have you. (laughs) Just um, for those people who didn't get a chance to listen to your first episode, can you just kind of reintroduce yourself, tell everybody who you are, what you do and what your, you know, kind of point of view on nutrition is, because I think that would be uh, helpful for them to know. Definitely, Megan. Uh, Thanks for having me again. I'm excited to be here. It's a beautiful fall day here in New England. So it's a lovely time to chat with a friend and to talk about things related to food and exercise. So I'm delighted. Um, To just give an overview. um, So I'm a registered dietitian and I come at the conversation regarding food from a very positive and uh, all-inclusive perspective. So my bent is that Mother Nature has given us many wonderful foods to eat. Um, I am not necessarily a fan of selling shakes and supplements. Um, I believe whole foods are the answer. And uh, I also come from a non-diet, health at every size angle. Um, So I'm very much a fan of intuitive eating. And we spoke about that a bit uh, last time and um, love to keep talking about that. But today in terms of exercise, we will be, you know, talking about how one may or may not manipulate how many carbohydrates they're eating and what does that mean for your performance. Um, But so that people know, um, I'm not out there uh, advocating any sort of specialized eating program with the goal of changing your body shape or size. Um, You want to pursue eating different things to improve your health. I'm your gal. Let's talk about it. That's wonderful. But uh, this is not from a, um, you know, let's burn more fat. Um, I want to look a certain way because that's the most important thing. 
I'm going to challenge that line of thinking. I understand it. That's the world we live in. Um, but I'd really like us to focus on health, performance, fitness, um, because those are different goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I think that's a, a good place to operate from, especially as you're starting out with nutrition. Like you can certainly get to the point of, um, you know, doing, let's say like bodybuilding or figure competitions where that kind of stuff really comes into play. Like what every, you know, every last bite that you put into your mouth definitely, you know, needs to get calculated and tabulated and, you know, the, the, that's really important. But from where I sit right now and kind of the way that we're going to come at this conversation is like, we want to kind of just talk about all of these different concepts. So people have an idea of what it is. Is it right for you? Is it not right? You know, what are those decisions? Because I think a lot of this can be really difficult to define and understand. And I kind of want to just put out here at the very beginning that I have played around with this idea of intermittent fasting. And who knows if I was even doing it right, because I definitely did not have any grand results from it. I didn't see anything that necessarily got any better. If anything, uh, I was always hungry. I was probably like more hangry than anything else. Um, I definitely, it, I didn't really enjoy it. And so, you know, I'm sure there's probably like a lot of other people that might be listening to this and thinking like, they had a very similar experience. So let's just kind of start out by defining this concept. So your terms that I have heard before are intermittent fasting, fasted, working out, running or whatever. So what are, tell us like, what is the deal? What is, are they the same thing? Are they different concepts? Like, can we put some parameters around them? Help me out here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would love some parameters. So we all know what, what we're talking about here. So um, even a little bit between between you and me. So intermittent fasting, um, that's, you know, a whole way of eating that there are many different variations of, right? So um, even for preparing for today's talk, I was looking at specifically fasted running. So that is not even necessarily intermittent fasting. Um, it may look a little bit like the way somebody might try to do intermittent fasting. Um, so let me define fasted running. So from a, you know, scholarly sort of scientific studies perspective, fasted running would be going running without having eaten between eight and 14 hours ahead of time. So I've seen 10 to 14 hours cited. I've seen eight to 12 hours cited. So there's a little bit of wiggle room around that. But by and large, for most people, it's going running without eating breakfast, right? Or if you are somebody who runs in the afternoon, it's without having eaten for at least eight hours ahead of time. Um, when we talk about, you know, the fad, I'm going to call it a fad out there for intermittent fasting. Um, you know, there are people who eat very, very low calorie for two days out of the week and then have their calories higher on other days. There are people who, you know, don't eat for 16 hours. So maybe they finish dinner at six and then they're not eating until, what is that, you know, after 10 the next day. Um, so intermittent fasting is a whole nother sort of conversation. But for some people that might look like if they were doing, okay, well, I'm going to eat dinner and then, you know, not eat again until 11 or whatever the next morning, 
that would mean that they quite well could be exercising fasted, right? It's not too hard because we all are sleeping at nighttime. Hopefully, you know, maybe obviously people who work second shift or night shift aren't, but we all have a natural fast built into our sleep cycle and our day. So most of us are fasted when we wake up. Yeah. So it sounds like they could technically be the same things, but you don't have to be like one doesn't necessarily equal the other. Like just because you, you know, eat dinner, go to bed, get up, go for an early morning run without having eaten breakfast doesn't necessarily mean that you are intermittent fasting. Correct. Thank you. That that was much more concise than I said it. (laughs) No, no, we got to say it a couple different times in a couple different ways. I feel like, you know, I have to hear it at least two or three times before I get it. So, okay. So that makes sense to me. So then, um, you know, like I'll just keep kind of interjecting my... (laughs) Not that it's not that it's necessarily going to help, but you know, I would. That's kind of what I was doing um, on the days that I was not running. So I would, you know, eat at night, get up in the morning, um, and then it would be a day that I wasn't running. I might do like a mobility workout or like a really easy strength something, and I wouldn't eat until. I think we were trying to do like noon and that was like a real struggle. It was definitely hard. So trying not to eat until noon. And I was, like I said, I was only doing that on the days when I wasn't running, but on the days I was running, I was getting up and having, you know, like a little bit of a breakfast beforehand to try to have something in my stomach before I was going for a run. So it wasn't really like it wasn't really a very good system. I, I don't know. It was just something I was experimenting with to see, you know, cause at that time it was, and it's still kind of all the rage now, but it was getting a lot of hype and I thought, okay, well I'll, I'll give it a try. And more than anything, I found it to be just difficult to manage. Right. So, um, I'm excited to share so many different things about this. Um, let's, let's just start by affirming what you said. I mean, intermittent fasting is is difficult, right? I mean, you are limiting the hours in which you can eat in a very sort of contrived fashion. So that can interrupt, you know, your your social life that can lead to hunger that you're not allowed to listen to. There's a lot about it that um, can be challenging. And what, what I believe and you'll have to correct me from the running community, what you're seeing, what, what you may be seeing may be different. Um, I did a fair amount of research for today's talk because um, it's always fun to keep learning. And I always know that I can be learning more. Um, so I am part of a, um, you know, a special listserv for dietitians who are interested in sports nutrition. Um, so I asked for, 4,000 people's, you know, feedback. And I didn't get, I didn't hear back from 4,000, but I heard back from, you know, at least eight, like very enthusiastic individuals. Um, some, a couple of whom are PhD candidates in studying sports nutrition um, and a couple who have a board certification in, you know, specializing in sports, sports nutrition, which I don't have. I am a registered dietitian, but I don't have um, a specialized certification in sports nutrition. What I learned from you know that community and other things that I was reading is that fasted running, so running without having eaten, whether it's eight or ten hours, you know, up to fourteen hours ahead of time, that's one way of something in the fitness world called training low. And so, in that case, 
you're going to be low, um, specifically in the, the glycogen stores in your liver, which only represent about 10% of the whole amount that our body can store in terms of glycogen, because really the bulk of it is stored in our muscles. So whether or not you eat breakfast in the morning does not dictate the glycogen stores in your muscle. It's only saying, hey, maybe we're a little bit lower because we don't have that immediate storage going on in our liver. So that's one way, but the other ways of training low, uh, as you've as you've shown often on your on your Instagram, is having low sleep. Um, some other ways are doing uh, you know training twice a day, or um, not having carbohydrates during recovery, or not um, you know training for a long time and during that long workout not eating carbohydrates. Um, so there are there are multiple ways of training low. Exercising after an overnight fast is just one of them, but that is the one that I, I did the most research for that we can talk about today. Mm-hmm. And then, so just why do we, I mean, I think probably we want to kind of back up a little bit and just ask the question, like, why do we even want to do this in the first place? Like, what what is the point? What outcome is it going to give us that we want? So that is a great question. And I'd like to hear your ideas on, you know, why, why train without sleeping eight hours ahead of time. Um, my understanding of it is to hopefully encourage some adaptations in the body, um, most specifically metabolically of how do we respond when you know the going gets tough and you are in way past overtime sort of encouraging some of those metabolic adaptations specifically how we oxidize or how we're burning fat as an energy source that's from the the eating standpoint of training low from the sleep side i'd love to hear your understanding of that because i I don't know much about it you mean in terms of why why you would train sleep deprived training low why by being why being low in sleep would also be called one form of training low? Well, I think like that's a very specific adaptation. And so this is kind of a a timely conversation because I'm just coming off of doing a hundred miles at ghost train. And so, you know, in, um, in preparation for that, there's a whole bunch of scenarios or permutations or things that you can train for one of which is having to be up for more than 24 hours. So, you know, practicing, um, moving for 24 hours. I mean, I'm a big fan of getting as much sleep as possible. So for me, I, I try not to train on low sleep, but every cycle, every time that I'm going to do a long race like this, I will do one or two days of preparation where I will stay up for 24 hours or 36 hours, or, you know, I'll just try to stay up and moving for as long as possible. And the adaptation or the result that I'm looking for is to experience that feeling, knowing what it's like to get to the point of being really tired and then continuing to push through and keep going um, because that's what I'll face come, come race day. So that's a very specific example of why I would do that. And, you know, you could, you could extrapolate that to a whole other, you know, that's, that's kind of the basis for, endurance training is we take the goal that we're trying to accomplish. So we could use the example of running a hundred miles. And then what I teach all of my athletes to do is 
you know, make the list of all of the possible things that you're, you don't know about, you're concerned about, you've never done before. And so that list for a hundred miles could be obviously going the distance, staying up 24 hours. What do I eat? Do you sleep? Like, what do I wear? All of those things. And then we use the time in training leading up to that to test and practice all of these things. And so sleep deprivation is one of them. Um, and with, with the sleep deprivation, a lot of times in a race scenario like this, you can really power through because it's kind of a one-time deal. You know, you probably, you might have a pacer, you, you can use caffeine. I mean, there's ways to kind of um, strategize around it. But, you know, to, to circle it back to the, the fasted running, there isn't necessarily, like for me, I'm trying to understand what are the benefits of me practicing fasted running, what outcome am I going to get? Like, how will it enhance my training? I mean, I can certainly see how, um, you know, getting up in the morning and going for, I think before you mentioned something like, you know, if you're going to do this and it's less than five or six miles, it's probably no big deal. But is there benefit to doing it when we are trying to log more miles, say like 10 or 15? Like, is that something we should be practicing like what's what are the pros and cons of fasted running above a certain mileage or is that even a thing yeah that that, that is the uh million dollar question in my mind that's what i when, when we talked and said we were going to you know talk about this today that's what i sounded out as my goal as i listed to you know colleagues on this listserv i know all these reasons why fasted re, you know why fasted running is not recommended is there anybody out there who can, you know, cite the studies and the evidence as to why somebody would want to do this? Um, and uh, I did not get a, a convincing amount of responses indicating known uh, known benefits. Okay, so I would love to break this down. So we'll, we'll go into some of the details. Um, the biggest sort of summary statement and takeaway that I came away with is that for each individual, the top priority really needs to be what is practical and what works with their individual schedule and their preference um, for the timing of their exercise and how nutrition fits into that. Um, and I say that because if you are going to exercise less than 75 minutes, in the morning, um, there is little research to show that doing so in a fasted state, assuming that you ate a normal diet, including carbohydrates, um, the, the day beforehand, there's nothing to indicate that your performance, your speed, your endurance is going to be lacking in a shorter exercise interval. Um, there. The, the bulk of the responses and of the literature out there would suggest that in a fasted state, um, the intensity of your workout is going to suffer if you don't have carbohydrates. So that's sort of like the word on the street. That being said, um, there is a gentleman, Jeffrey Rothschild. Let me make sure I've said that properly. He's a PhD candidate. He's done Ironmans. Um, he studies lots of nutrition. He has a company. He's in New Zealand right now. 
um, he's been doing some studies with cyclists and he found that it was a small study. I, I will grant that that's one of the limitations, but he, he had cyclists and he found that the rate of perceived in exertion, which, you know, could be a measure of the intensity. It was not higher for folks who had not had carbohydrates. So the, the bulk of the studies out there would say, yeah, I mean, if you don't have, you know, if you don't have the carbohydrates, then you are not going to be able to do, um, you know, that really hard level of work. Um, but in, in his study, that was not the case. And that was a very key finding for him. It was only, it was done with trained athletes, males, I would bet they're all white. Um, so there are certainly limitations to that small study, but it, it's, it's an area of research that he's pursuing. Um, so there is agreement that exercising, running, cycling, um, after an overnight fast, if it's less than 75 minutes, not a problem. If that's what works with your schedule and it's sustainable for you, terrific. Go for it. Um, however, if you are looking to be doing more than 75 minutes, um, not a good idea. Not a good idea. Um, and we can go into the various reasons why. I just want to recap so that the main positive that may present for certain individuals of running fasted, you know, it could be you need the extra sleep. It could be that you, you just really are not great at eating in the morning. It could be that you have, you know, a, a sensitive stomach and you find it really difficult to find what will work with you. Um, don't sweat it. If it's under 75 minutes, make sure you fuel well afterwards. Maybe you want to drink a little bit of something like a Gatorade on your, your run. But if it's not super long, you're you're fine. I think that's really good to kind of point out because there's probably a lot of people that are juggling various recommendations as far as nutrition goes. I mean, you can Google your till the cows come home on what is the best way to eat for runners if you're going to run early or later or whatever. And, um, you know, I have gotten into the habit on my weekday runs of, of, you know, six or seven miles or less of just getting up and having a four ounce, um, like little mini, mini protein shake of just like protein powder and water and just putting, having something in my stomach and then going out for this run. And then when I come back, I'll have my breakfast or, or whatnot. But I think a lot of people will probably be excited to hear that that's, it's not necessary for them to get up and have, you know, some sort of a full breakfast for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned. I can think of one of my my current clients who's having this struggle about trying to eat ahead of time because her she her stomach just doesn't like she feels even just the thought of drinking a little even a fruit smoothie beforehand makes her nauseous and so you know we've been kind of going back and forth and testing some things and i what i said to her was like look if you're just doing um you know a short weekday run that's fine but, you know, when we get to the like longer stuff, even if you don't eat ahead of time, you have to be eating during or else you're just going to hit the wall that much faster. So I think you've probably 
everyone has t- has taken a collective sigh, hopefully, after having heard you say that. Yeah, yeah, and even myself in learning it because I find that I am uh, best at fitting in my workouts if I do them in the morning. Um, and I'm a mom; I've got kids to get out the door to school. Um, you know, pack my bag for the day, and I often don't eat before I exercise. And I've always sort of been like, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I sort of feel like I should be. And, you know, researching for today's show made me feel like, ah, okay, I'm not doing more than 75 minutes. No problem. Maybe I do feel good. Like it's never been, I think also for people who don't always eat before, you know, a moderately, moderately length, you know, shortish type of run. Um, you know, if it didn't work for them, they might have fixed it already. And it's also to say that, that it, it may not work for everybody. And and that's, you know, and you and it's so individual. Uh, but it is people can know that, hey, yeah, you know, if if you're not feeling any um, negative side effects from it, you can also know that there's nothing negative going on inside your body. Whereas when we switch over to talking about the negatives of, you know, fasted running when you are going more than 75 minutes there are some negative things that can definitely be going on on the inside that you may not be aware of mentally. Yeah. Tell, tell us, tell I think this is a good time to kind of jump into that. So tell us okay. more about that. Okay. Okay. So with the negatives, um, you know, one of the things and, and, you know, some of it is that I, you know, I'm doing work with, with folks who often have disordered eating. Um, when we're looking at training, more than 12 hours a week, right? Which may be 98% of your listeners. You know, I'm not exactly sure, but it's probably a lot of them. Um, Certainly, um, Jeffrey Rothschild, PhD, Ironman, superstar nutrition stud in New Zealand. He does not, absolutely does not recommend fasted for for that group. Um, and, And, you know, one of the things is that restriction in general often leads to disordered eating. It simply does. Um, and, uh, you know, endurance athletes already tend to be a group that, you know, um, dare I say might be type A, you know, dare I say high achieving, um, dare I say, you know, really driven to excel. And sometimes that energy can get poured into like, you know, an uber sense of, you know, my food needs to be perfect. Um, and that can work against us, right? If we start spending too much uh, energy, you know, evaluating every morsel of our food. Um, and so, you know, with with that higher level of, of energy expenditure, we need to be replacing it. We need to be getting the carbohydrates. I mean, that is what our body burns for fuel. Um, and if we're not getting it, then it's your body's going to go somewhere to get it. And and what happens is it it's going to go to muscle, right? Um, so then you have breakdown of protein. Um, you have, you know, stress to the hormones. So that can start raising cortisol levels. Um, you also have decreased immunity, you know, when your body has to start tapping into other sources for fuel. Um, but that one about, you know, <laughs> decreased muscle mass 
that's, you know, that's, that's not good when we're going to our muscles to get the energy we need. Yeah. And I think like you're, you're right that there's going to be a good portion of people that are listening to this that do fall into that category of training in, in somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 10 to 12 hours a week, depending on what phase of their training cycle that they're in. We definitely can fall into those categories of sort of obsessing over, every last little thing that could potentially give us a performance benefit. But there are also people who kind of fall into, you know, the ultra running or just running category in general who are just doing it for fun and they're not really obsessing over it, but would like to be more knowledgeable about how these things work. And if it fits into their routine fairly easily, like it might be something that they want to test out. And I think that that's how a lot of people were sold on intermittent fasting or just fasted working out in general only to find out that you know oh it's actually not really all that easy not that comfortable and now as we're kind of learning especially as you start to get into some of these higher mileage longer workouts more volume type of scenarios that it's actually less beneficial counter indicated um for those of us kind of in the endurance community. Yes. Yes. And you know, there's, um, from the different experts that I also consulted with for, for today's talk, there is disagreement. So, you know, there's a, there's a great, um, little metaphor, uh, that there's a group called the Institute of Performance Nutrition, a bunch of dietitians, uh, it's called guru performance. And I can share the link with you, uh, as, a fellow dietitian share with me. Um, and their main summary statement was that it's important to first bake the cake before applying the sprinkles. And what they mean by that, um, you gotta love a, you know, a, a, a bakery reference, right? Um, so by baking the cake, that's referring to acquiring first a strong physiological base. So having your X number of miles that you do every week, you are strong, you are sound, you've got your base built. You don't just all of a sudden go out one day and decide to run 20 miles before applying the sprinkles. The sprinkles are considering fasted training as a way to refine your performance. Okay, so that's sort of their summary is, you know, make sure you're really strong and sound. And then if you want to play around with this here or there, Maybe you want to play around with it, but, you know, not eating from, you know, 10 at night to seven in the morning. That's not intermittent fasting, right? That's just not eating breakfast before you go running. If you want to try it and it's your eight mile day and you can run eight miles in less than 75 minutes, give it a try. See how you feel, but be darn sure when you get back home you are, you know, getting in the carbs to protein, ideally in a three to four rate, three to one ratio, and you are working right away on that recovery. So you're ready to go the next day. Well, and I think that like that whole idea of baking the cake first before you add the sprinkles is a really good one just across the board, because um, I see this, I've done this, I know lots of people who have done this that have tried to optimize before they've ever leveled out and gotten a good foundation. And that's, that's a really key thing to understand is it's okay to 
be really into running. It's okay to be new at it. And what we have to do is find that base, that foundation where you can build off of before we start to be like, okay, what about this compression garment? Or what about like these super fast, crazy shoes from Hoka? Or what about if I do intermittent fasting? And, you know, it was, I was well into a good base foundation before I started to play around with intermittent fasting. And I didn't even, you know, it didn't, it didn't really do much for me, but I didn't have, you know, the, the information and the knowledge that you're kind of dropping on us now, which is great. But that that whole idea, bake the cake first, then add the sprinkles, I think is like a really a, a good one for people to like think about and, you know, apply to their own training. Right. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And, and I think the other reason, too, you know, to the notion of adding the sprinkles is like, well, you know, is it going to make your ultimate performance in an ultra better, you know, I don't think we know. I don't think the, you know, the PhD candidates out there studying this, they don't know the answer yet. You know, so, you know, it's a study of one, you know, you, if you want to try it a little bit, you know, go for it. But um, in general, you know, cutting back on carbohydrates, which are your source of energy is not likely to yield benefits when you're looking at longer length exercising. Oh, if you were to if you were to list if I was to list right now all the foods that I ate during my 100 mile, it was legit all carbs. Like that's basically all I ate. I mean, there was like PB&J, there was ramen, there were uh there were gnocchi, there were instant mashed potatoes. Like we were talking, you know, carbs on carbs on carbs and that is basically you know, that's that's how you survive. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know anybody that can survive on goos and gels that are still carbohydrates, but just sugar bombs, you know, the whole, the whole time. So yeah, to, if you were to try to get me to do an event like that without carbs, I would, I would say no, <laughs> there'd be no way. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I don't think you'd be able to do no. it. <laughs> um, you know, the other I love little nuggets that you come across from from people who you know do a lot of this either writing and so they've had time to crystallize their thoughts or public speaking perhaps. Um, there was another quote which I loved, which was that fat burns in a carbohydrate flame. And so folks who are thinking, you know, maybe they are coming at this from a well, you know, I really run because I want to lose weight. And if I burn more fat, if I don't eat first, then I'm just going to go ahead and run without eating. Um, you know, the, the science shows that yes, our bodies will burn more fat during the exercise if the carbs aren't there first, but what happens afterwards counterbalances that. So we actually will burn more carbs, you know, the fat, the, sorry, afterwards, the rate of fat being burned slows down. Um, and so it's a wash in the end. So again, it's speaking to, um, we're always going to need some carbs uh, and uh, try what's working for you. But if you think that long-term going long distances with fewer carbs, that's not going to be a recipe for success. I also think it's um, key to point out that like, that's the food source that your brain also needs. 
Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so like if you think you're going to be able to get by without carbs or on, like that's why people who do consistently low carb typically have like brain fog and confusion and they're, you know, lethargic a little bit because they don't have that fuel source for your brain. So again, if you want to, if you're thinking about doing longer events, not that I think I have to convince anybody that's listening to the show to, to eat carbs. Cause we're like a pretty carb heavy crew. Like <laughs> we like our carbs, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, again, I think it's this, we come at this conversation because it's touted IF or fasted working out or running is touted kind of as an optimizer, you know, those sprinkles on top, we come at this from, from that perspective. And um, I know I don't have to convince anybody to eat the carbs, but that's just another reason for you to have them. Because if you're going longer, you're going to need the brain power to make the good decisions that you might, you know, come up against if you're doing a 50k, 50 miles, 100 miles, whatever it might be. So just something else to think about. Absolutely. Don't want to get lost or, you know, oh, good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> or make a bad decision. Like yeah. this can really come down to, um, you know, when you get start to get tired, like again, we'll use a hundred miler as an example. When you start to get tired, just physically tired from having been moving for so many hours, you don't think as clearly and having carbs on board and being able to eat and keep food down and, you know, be well fed is really important, but you could make a crucial uh, decision, a, a bad decision, if you're not thinking clearly, like forgetting a piece of equipment, a headlamp, the right layers, um, you know, failing to take care of a blister or something that's, you know, could really be important. And then that really is a is a crucial detrimental decision, um, all because you were, you know, under fueled and had some brain fog and, you know, made a poor decision. So, right. Right. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that um, there's no doubt that the studies are showing, you know, that your performance improves when you have carbs prior to exercise and during exercise. I mean, that that's not disputed. You're performing for longer bouts of exercise. Carbs improve performance. So if that's what you're after, there, there's no questions there. Um, and the rest, we just we need more longer term studies. That's what we need. Is there any, I think we kind of touched on this in the beginning and I'm, I'm not sure if there is anything to support this or if there's any, if there's anything there, but is there a difference between, um, men and women when it comes to this kind of stuff? Like, do women do better on this or, or do men do better with intermittent fasting? Like, and I guess better meaning, do they get results from it? I don't, I don't even know how to, how to put parameters around that, but is there any differences in the genders that way? It's an interesting question. Uh, I'm not. I'm not aware of any, um, and it didn't. It didn't really come up in you know in the responses that I received from from colleagues. Um, yeah, it was just. I just was thinking like you know you hear. Um, uh, I know a lot of some of the conversations that get circulated around. Um, just in general, and then kind of as it pertains to diet culture, you'll hear like, oh, guys do so much better on intermittent fasting than women do. And I, I just didn't know if there was anything that you found when you were kind of tapping the the brain trust uh, on intermittent fasting, if anyone 
came up if there were any studies on that. No, I don't. I don't think there was. And I think many of the studies, you know, at least the ones um, from from New Zealand that are going on there were done on men. So, I mean, that's another limitation. Um, and I also did want to mention, because I talked about the, the, the bake the cake with the sprinkles on top from guru performance. But I wanted to mention that um, Jeffrey Roth, Rothschild, his bottom line to me was that uh, if fasted training was going to be recommended, it's, it's anyone except an elite athlete. So I thought that was also very fascinating too. It's like, oh, okay, so it's anybody except the people who you would most expect to be optimizing, which is contrary to Guru Nutrition's point about get your base, then try to optimize with sprinkles. He's sort of saying, wow, you know, your your elite people, they're definitely not the ones that you want to be doing this. And despite being the one researching this and sometimes defending it, I, I don't know that it's great. So I had a hard time finding people that were consistently enthusiastic about running uh, after a eight to 14 hour fast. Hmm, that's interesting. I think that's, I, you know, to, to back up a little bit, I know that a lot of the research studies that are just done in general on athletes are predominantly male test subject groups. So you always have to kind of dig into the research to see, you know, if it's, if it's a mixed group, if it's just men, if it's just women. So I kind of want to just point that out there for people because sometimes they don't know, you know, they, somebody references a study in an article or something and they don't necessarily give you the link to the, um, to the actual data. You might think, oh, this is applicable to me. But if you dig into it, you know, like for me, it might be a whole study on elite men cyclists. And it's like, mm, okay, like, I get it. I get the premise. I understand the concept. The data is interesting, but how how does this actually relate to me? You know, like does this does this translate? Should should this even be something that I try? And I think that's where a lot of people are. That's the disconnect. It's just we hear these ideas, these fads about certain diet nutritional protocols. And it's just the top level. It's just, oh, intermittent fasting or fasted running does this. It's like, mm, that's like a broad generalization. You really have to kind of dig down into the numbers and the research and the data and ask a bunch of people. And even as you've proven by asking all of your colleagues, nobody can, we can't come to a consensus. Like it works for some, it's, it's counter indicated for some, you know, he's saying, I wouldn't do it with my, I would do it recommend it it's okay for other people but not my elite athletes like I think it's really up to us and this is just my thought right now but like based on our conversation I won't be doing it just you know I might still continue to do my early morning run with just a little bit of my protein shake and and then eat afterwards but I don't see based on this conversation any need for me to do that especially knowing what I know to be true about how well I do when I am fed <laughs> versus how poorly I do when I'm not well fed. <laughs> I think that is a great summary. Yeah. <laughs> Just still into one it. sentence, and, feed and yourself. It, yeah, keep nourishing yourself. And, you know, I feel that that is overall so much the source of a lot of confusion and misinformation about nutrition that is out there is 
you know, we hear these sound bites or these headlines and, you know, even whole magazine articles that aren't going to the original source and asking those really critical, you know, savvy questions about the research that was done and the conclusions that are being drawn. You know, maybe they take the conclusion right out of the, you know, the um, brief, you know, or the summary, but they forget. They're not telling you the limitations, you know, like, oh, this was done on monkeys, you know? <laughs> right. Or only on your, st- one of the ones you referenced was like an elite group of like 14 guys. It's like, we're talking about like the most elite of elite athletes that are, have been at this for years who could tell you probably within one to two beats of their heart, what their heart rate is and, you know, what their, you know, they could tell you everything. It's like, that's not, you can't draw a direct correlation from that study to me, you know, like, you know, regular old Jane runner who, you know, who just does this um, for fun. And so that's where I agree. We get really lost and really confused and it's tough for people to know what's, you know, right air quotes and what's wrong air quotes. I think what, what is nice and what is exciting is that you know, at the high levels, you we do now have an appreciation for nutrition and the relationship with the training schedule, and that you can have dietitians and you know sports uh, exercise physiologists uh, trainers working together to optimize and to try different strategies of you know around the nutrition and the timing of the workouts uh, and the distances, the intensities. So it's exciting to know that that field is emerging. Um, it is just really important to know that there are no clear, you know, diehard um, answers by which anybody listening should just go revamp their program and say, oh, but I heard it on this one website and I know they're right. So I'm just going to do what that says. Try to have an open mind and 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 trust what your own body is telling you, because just that it worked for somebody else does not mean that it's accurate. Um, and especially when it comes to limiting, you know, I'm, I'm all about like adding more, trying different, you know, tart cherry juice afterwards for recovery and, you know, maybe trying sampling some things, but to think that any one, you know, food or drink is, you know, the panacea for feeling sore the next day or for getting a faster time that's marketing, right. Where we both originally came from. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's like an interesting, I think we are kind of an interesting crew, like having this conversation because we both have marketing, um, food marketing in our background, which so we can kind of come at it from almost the very skeptical point of view, because we know kind of how that stuff is set up and, you know, how it's contrived to, to make you want it and to have you be interested in it and for you to think that it is the be all end all. So, um, you know, I'm always talking to my athletes and I'm always, we're talking about testing things and trying things. And, you know, I'm, I'm all about giving suggestions for things that I have tried, but with the full disclaimer that, you know, what works for me may not work for you and adopting somebody else's routine as it, pertains to nutrition or anything really isn't going to be necessarily the answer. There are always going to be bits and pieces from a myriad of different things that you can try and test and then kind of mash together as your 
individual routine, but there's never going to be, you know, a, a book that you can take off the shelf that you open up and you just follow it um, verbatim that's going to necessarily work for you. I see this all the time with training plans. <laughs> it drives me nuts because people try to follow a professional athlete's training plan that they have put out in a book. And, you know, for some people it might work, but for the vast majority of people, especially beginners that pick up, say a book where, you know, it's, um, uh, your plan, uh, the guide to, you know, your, your first ultra and it's a 50 K plan. Some of those are just so aggressive with so many runs, so much volume that by week, I don't know, four, people are already, you know, experiencing massive amounts of aches and pains. They don't want to run anymore. They don't like running anymore. And then they wonder why. And I'm like, well, here's probably the reason why. Exactly. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. You know, you have to make things your own and, uh, you know, trust your own gut, right? Trust that you don't need to follow, you know, to the T somebody else's plan. And that's, I feel like, you know, in the world of eating and food and Instagram, uh, you know, there's so many of these and TikTok, you know, what I eat in a day and, you know, what I do on the weekend and those type of posts, while they may be well intended to spark creativity or give ideas, they also can be very harmful because it makes people compare oh gosh, like, I guess I'm, maybe I'm eating too much or her plate looks more colorful than mine or, you know, all these ways of starting to feel uh, inferior or not good enough. And one, you don't even know if it's true, but it doesn't even matter because that that's a different person. They have a different size. They have different genetics. They have, they're entirely different. So yeah, yeah, I hear you. They mean well. I think a lot, you know, my my default is to always give people the benefit of the doubt, but at the same time all of that is true. I think, you know, even they might be well-intentioned, but they can also be uh, it can be taken out of context and then someone can, you know, try to replicate it and turn it into exactly what we're talking about and and then find out that it it doesn't actually work for them. So, um, Tiffany, I really appreciate you kind of coming on here and laying out the facts for us and doing so much research and helping us kind of wrap our brains. This, I mean, this has definitely helped me wrap my brain more about in, around intermittent fasting and what it means and fasted running and all of that jazz. Um, I want to let everybody in on a little secret, although it's not like a super, super, super secret, but Tiffany is actually going to be one of the guest experts that is joining us for the next round of Run Farther, Faster, Stronger, the winter reboot program. So she's going to come in twice and talk about different topics as it pertains to running and nutrition um, and how to kind of craft your own nutritional plan for your running, kind of what we're talking about here. So if you have enjoyed this conversation and you're kind of want to, you know, get some more help with nutrition, that is a great place for um, you guys to come and hang out. We're going to be in there for 16 weeks, starting on November 1st. And Tiffany's going to start us off and then she's going to come back in the new year and give us a little bit more information. So you'll have ample time to to 
ask questions of her and get some coaching and some homework and all the fun stuff. So I'm, I'm super excited to have you joining us for that. Yeah, I can't wait. I love uh, meeting new people. I love the, you know, individual individuality. That's a tough one to say. The individuality of, you know, what people are choosing to eat. You know, there's so much, um, so much room for variety and there's no one, you know, this is the way you do it. So it, it's, it'll be great to have that opportunity to, to do a little bit more with a small group and perhaps even a little one-on-one. So in the meantime, Tiffany, where can they find you? Uh, where do you hang out the most? And uh, what are you most excited about these days when it comes to nutrition? Great. Um, well, certainly I encourage people to check out my Instagram, Tiffany at Harvest Nutrition um, and uh, my website too, Harvest Nutrition Wellness. Um, and gosh, what I'm most excited about, Ooh, I'm thinking I need to make some pumpkin chocolate chip muffins really soon. Um, yeah, I think you made those last time when you were staying up all night, didn't you? Or was it banana bread? I made banana bread. (laughs) It's good memory. (laughs) This morning, somehow I was starting to think about pumpkin chocolate chip muffins. So I'm excited to go make some of that. And I need to go apple picking. I'm really excited for that too. You know who makes good pumpkin chocolate chip muffins? Aesop's. Aesop's does. Aesop's does. Shameless plug for Aesop's tables in Peterborough, New Hampshire. (laughs) Their uh, sweet potato black bean wrap. Oh, yeah, that's good too. It's fabulous. Yum, yum, yum. We have so many nice places in Peterborough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. But they make you specifically the pumpkin chocolate chips every time I go there. And they're usually... I can usually get them dairy free. Often they do a, they do a lot of baking that is dairy free, which is good for me. Uh, yeah. So I always scoop those up every time I go. <laughs> Great. Great. Good. Um, yep. I think that's what I'm excited about right now. Yeah. I'm just back from a week vacation, so I'm getting my brain back into the flow of things. Love it. Love it. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for coming to hang out and. Uh, I'm sure we will find another topic uh, for you to come back on and talk about. If our listeners have something dying, a pressing question that they want to ask about nutrition, uh, you guys can, you know, where to find me at find your ultra or shoot me an email. I'll put that into the show notes below um, and just let us know because we're always entertaining different topics and ideas to talk about. We love talking about food and nutrition and running, obviously, and uh, we want to hear from you guys. So fire away. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, well, I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode with Tiffany. It's been very helpful for me to really wrap my head around exactly what intermittent fasting is, what running low is all about, and whether or not it's right for me. So hopefully you feel the same for you. Um, I've got something very cool and important to share with you guys, but I can't give it away just yet. I'm actually going to announce it on the 50th episode of the podcast, so not next week, but the week after, so stay tuned for that. And once you hear what it is, all of what I'm going to talk about and share and do for the next few months will all make sense. So stay tuned for episode 50. In other kind of find your ultra, she runs ultra, Megan Gould news, the winter reboot program started this past Monday and such a kick-ass group of runners. We are just kind of starting to dive into the 
world of integrating strength and nutrition and sleep and all of these things. And of course, Tiffany will join us twice in this program. So excited about that. And I'll be sharing a lot of what we do in the program, bits and pieces of it here and there, both here on the podcast, as well as on my email list. So if you're not already on my email list, I will put that link down below and get on there because maybe you'll actually get advanced warning or notice about what this big announcement is. But uh, I'm going to cut it off here because if I keep talking, I will definitely give it away and I don't want to do that. So thanks for listening. Enjoy this beat and I'll see you all soon.